Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Living Prophecy. Living Prophecy, brothers and sisters. Today we will utilize the Bible to highlight, to rather reveal some of the psychological warfare, the, the tactics, the ploys of the enemy, brothers and sisters. One thing you'll discover today is that freedom has a cost, brothers and sisters. Freedom is not free. Let's go to Second Ezra, the 14th chapter, the 10th verse. Uh, we'll have Brother Christopher read down to the 17th verse. The title of today's lesson, Living Prophecy. Second Ezra, 14 and 10. For the world hath lost his youth, and the times begin to wax old. For the world is divided into twelve parts, and the ten parts of it are gone already. Read that one more time, brother, please. For the world is divided into twelve parts, and the ten parts of it are gone already. Read, read verse 10, brother, please. Second Edris 14 and 10. For the world hath lost his youth. The Lord, the, the world hath lost... The world hath lost his youth. The figurative language of this text labels society with the notable male metaphor, brothers and sisters. It says, for the world hath lost what, brother? For the world hath lost his youth, and the times begin to wax old. Closely examine the, the strongly gender, uh, the gendered characterization that this passage bears, brothers and sisters. Society, the world, has lost its youth. It's began to... Grow into age, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> then he goes into verse 11 and tells you that time is divided, uh, divided into 12 parts according to the Most High. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 11. Verse 11. For the world is divided into 12 parts. 12 parts. And the 10 parts of it are gone already. There's 12 parts that must be fulfilled. 10 are already gone during the time of Ezra. And the ten parts of it are gone already, and half of the tenth part. And there remaineth that which is after the half of the tenth part. Now therefore set thine house in order, and reprove thy people. Comfort such of them as be in trouble, and now renounce corruption. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Look at this one more time. Read verse... Read verse 12, brother. <clears throat> Second Edris 14 and 12. And there remaineth that which is after the half of the tenth part. Now therefore set thine house in order. So he's showing you time is short. Set your house in order. And reprove thy people. Comfort Com such of them as be in trouble. Correct your own people. Self-correction. We are to correct each other. Comfort such of them as be in trouble, and now renounce corruption. Compassion, brothers and sisters. What's verse 14 say, brother? Verse 14. Let go from the mortal thoughts. Cast away the burdens of man. Put off now the weak nature. In consideration of this reality, the author laments the significance of attentiveness, brothers and sisters. He said, set thine house in order. Why? Because time is short, brothers and sisters. Time is short. Renounce corruption, according to the text, brothers and sisters. Read verse 15, please, brother. Second Edris 14 and 15. And set aside the thoughts that are most heavy unto thee, 
and haste thee to flee from these times. So what is he showing you? In the last days, brothers and sisters, what are they going to attack? What is going to be their words, their, their, their key words that they're, they're utilizing? Mental health, brothers and sisters. Mental health. This last war is going to be psychological, brothers and sisters. Look at what the Bible is telling you here. First, first thing it does is it highlights a, a, a line of demarcation. It tells you exactly where you are in time. <laughs> and then it tells you what to look for going forward, how to operate, what to do to your mind in the future, right? Reverse, reverse, reverse 13, brother, please. Second Edgers 14 and 13. Now, therefore, set thine house in order, and reprove thy people. Comfort such of them as be in trouble, and now renounce corruption. Now, look at what he says. In order for you to renounce corruption, you must first start here. Verse 14. Let go from the mortal thoughts. Look at that. See? <laughs> you can't renounce corruption if you don't get it at the thought level, brothers and sisters. The mind. This is what he's telling you. Let go from the mortal thoughts, cast away the burdens of man, put off now the weak nature. Look at the next scripture. Verse 15, and set aside the thoughts that are most heavy and thee. Set aside the thoughts. So it's talking about what? Control, brothers and sisters. To even be able to control the thoughts that you allow to enter into your mind, brothers and sisters. Yes, it takes work. Yes, it, it, it can become exhausting, but it's required. And set aside the thoughts that are most heavy unto thee, and hasty to flee from these times. For yet greater evils than those which thou hast seen happen shall be done hereafter. Here the prophet Ezra prognosticates of an unprecedented time of difficulty for Jacob's descendants, brothers and sisters. What did, what did, what did Ezra say, brother? Verse 16. For yet greater evils than those which thou hast seen happen shall be done hereafter. Greater evils shall come. <laughs> you see, brothers and sisters, read verse 17, please. Verse 17. For look how much the world shall be weaker through age. So much the more shall evils increase upon them that dwell therein. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look how much the world shall be weaker with age. Look at that. Now, remember, the first thing we saw when we started in verse 10 was what? That male metaphor, right? It called, for the world have lost his youth, right? Brothers and sisters. So now it's telling you that the, the, the further we go in, the further we go in, the worse the earth becomes, brothers and sisters. So what you're seeing now, it'll never go back to what it was. It will always progress in this way. How things have progressed from so-called... 20, uh, let's say 2019 up into 2021. Look how quickly those things have progressed. Here we are again, brothers and sisters. Mental illness is going to be the final battleground, brothers and sisters. The final battleground. The Bible knows this. Let's go to, let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brethren. Actually, read verse 17 one more time, and then let's go to Wisdom of Solomon. Second Ezra 14 and 17. For look how much the world shall be weaker through age, so much the more shall evils increase upon them that dwell therein. So much the more what, brother? 
so much the more shall evils increase upon them that dwell therein. According to the text, the increase of lawlessness is indicative of the time, brothers and sisters. You see this? It's telling you more evils shall increase with age. So it looks like they're coming up with, I mean, <laughs> new evil every day, brothers and sisters. Nowadays, they're creating new evils. They, every day, there's some new evil that you didn't know about. Some new sin that you can partake in. Right? Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon. Let's go here. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon 2. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 10. Brothers and sisters, we'll have Brother Christopher read 10 through 13. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 10. Now examine this, brothers and sisters. Examine this because why? These passages reveal the psyche of our current captors. Let us oppress the poor righteous man. What did they say? Let us oppress the poor righteous man. The poor righteous man. Let's oppress the poor. Let us not spare the widow. We don't care about the women. Nor reverence the ancient gray hairs of the age. We don't care about the age. Let our strength be the law of justice. Look at that. Let our what? Let our strength be the law of justice. They would utilize the judicial system as their strength and say, well, I'm just, hey, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> Spread them. See? It was, it's them that would be implementing what? Legislation, brothers and sisters. Who is that? So he's, he, now he's giving you the mindset of the enemy. The enemy was was always going to look to gain control over judicial system, over the judicial system. Why? Because now they could come against you. Now they can come against you. Can you read 10 one more time, brother? Verse 10. Let us oppress the poor righteous man. Let us not spare the widow, nor reverence the ancient gray hairs of the age. Let our strength be the law of justice. Let what? Let our strength be the law of justice. According to the text, they would manipulate the law as an instrument of oppression. Brothers and sisters, Solomon's telling you this. This is what is called legislated oppression. Brothers and sisters. See, other nations always thought that we just were complainers. <laughs> that we just like to complain. No. There's actually things within the law against us. That people can't see unless you actually go through the system, brothers and sisters. So here we're seeing that. Uh, read verse 11, brother, one more time, please. Verse 11. Let our strength be the law of justice, for that which is feeble is found to be nothing worth. Continue. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous. Read that again, brother. Verse 12. Therefore, let us lie in wait for the righteous. This is their mindset. Read that again. What's their mindset, brother? Verse 12. Therefore, let us lie in wait for the righteous. Let us lie in wait for the righteous. Why? Because he is not for our turn. Why? And he is clean contrary to our doing. You see that? So the text reveals the, the calculated patience of our enemies. They lie in wait for the righteous. They're patient. Okay, brothers and sisters, and the way they view it, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. So they will lead you on to the mistake, brothers and sisters. 
They will lead you there. <laughs> a lot of the things they say, they don't believe. But they understand the rules of engagement. The rules of engagement are, as long as there's no sin involved, protection. As long as there's no sin involved, there'll be some protection there. The moment that that changes, now you're wide open. You're wide open, brothers and sisters. So here we see what? Read 12 one more time, brother, please. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 12. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous. They're going to wait for us. Because he is not for our turn. Why? Because we're against them, brothers and sisters, naturally, okay? We're the people of God. We don't eat unclean food. We don't celebrate unclean uh, holidays, so forth and so on. Because he is not for our turn, and he is clean contrary to our doing. He's clean contrary. That really bothers him. Even amongst your family, your friends, right? You being amongst them, brothers and sisters, it bothers them. <laughs> okay? You not eating pork. You being different from everyone else in the room. Why? Because automatically it starts shining a light on what they're doing. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 12. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous, because he is not for our turn, and he is clean contrary to our doings. He upbraided us with our offending the law and objected to our infamy, the transgressings of our education. He professes to have the knowledge of God. They're mad at us. Why, brother? He professes to have the knowledge of God. Because we profess to have the knowledge of God. And he calleth himself the child of the Lord. See that? So they have a problem with us just based on who we are, brothers and sisters. Just who we are. Their hostility towards us is connected to our identity. Let's read that one more time, brother. Read 12 and 13 one more time, please. Verse 12. Therefore, let us lie in wait for the righteous, because he is not for our turn, and he is clean contrary to our doings. He upbraided us with our offending the law and objected to our infamy, the transgressions of our education. He professes to have the knowledge of God, and he calleth himself the child of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Revelations, the 12th chapter, the 9th through the 11th verse. Revelation 12 and 9. What's that say, brother? And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. He was what? He was cast out into the earth. And? And his angels were cast out with him. This particular text indicates that demonic spirits are indeed fallen angels. Let's read that one more time. Verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Which what, brother? Which deceiveth the whole world. According to the text, deception is the primary instrument of Satan, brothers and sisters. You see that? And that's what makes it so dangerous. Is that the people who are usually deceived don't know they are. And that's the danger, brothers and sisters. What's verse 10 saying, brother? Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, 
which accused them before our God day and night. Brothers and sisters, this was an announcement of the coming of the millennial kingdom. And that prompted people to break out into praise. I want you to, to examine this again, brothers and sisters. This was what? This was a proclamation. This was an announcement. Look at the response. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 10. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Heard a voice in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Continue. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. By what, brother? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives until the death. Brothers and sisters, if you examine the text closely, it highlights two things. Number one, what, brothers and sisters? Can you read that again? Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The first thing we learn, continue. And by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives until the death. The first thing we learn is two things we learn in the text. And that sacrifice is mandatory according to the text. Look at this. There's a lot of sacrifice in this one verse. Read that one more time, brother, please. Revelation 12 and 11. Because why? They're, we need to help our brothers see that what? There's sacrifice. There's blood, which represents sacrifice all in this text. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So it takes blood, right? The first thing we see is Christ's blood independently is not sufficient. It said that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and what? And by the word of their testimony. So there was something else in conjunction with the blood of the Lamb. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Christ's blood independently was insufficient. There's something else that you must carry with that blood, okay? If that blood doesn't make it up on the doorpost, <laughs> then it, it, it has no power. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. And they love not their lives unto the death. That means they would be willing to sacrifice what they wanted in this world. That they would be willing to, to sacrifice that and to allow the Most High to God. A lot of us brothers and sisters had ambitions and, and things, wishes, things that we wanted in this earth, brothers and sisters. But when the truth finds you, it will have you rearrange your whole life, brothers and sisters. For you to actually be in the truth, you have to rearrange your whole life. Everything now has to be rearranged around the, this, the truth. And many of us have not done that. We've tried to fit everything God wants into the little space we have. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John 12. Let's go here. John 12 and 25. We'll have Brother Christopher read uh, 25 and 26. John 12 and 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Now remember, brothers and sisters, what did Revelations 12 and 11 say? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. What does and they loved not their lives unto the death mean? Let's read John 12 and 25 again, brother. Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. 
Brothers and sisters, if we carelessly skim through this text, it has great potential to be misunderstood and misapplied. Okay, brothers and sisters, if we care more about our physical life, the text tells us that what? If we care more about our physical life rather than our eternal life, we lose both. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that loveth his life. That means I want to use my life to say I only live once. I need to do this and do that. I want to be ambitious. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So someone, when it says he that hateth his life, somebody who's strong enough to give it up. That's what that means, brothers and sisters. I'm willing to give it up. Continue. Verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take a look at these two scriptures again. Read 25 again, brother, please. John 12 and 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Shall what? Shall lose it. Losing one's life is to accept the principles of the most high sovereign control over our lives. That's what it means to lose his life. See that? doesn't mean that he's going to go get, you know, killed or something. It means that his life no longer belongs to him now. It belongs to the king, the creator, right? Continue. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. Now, I need you to look at this, brothers and sisters, because it first tells us that you would either need to love or, or hate your life to, to actually keep your life. We see that, right? It also tells us that you must, uh, he that loveth his life will lose his life. So first, let's deal with 25, because the idea of hate in this particular text is hyperbole, brothers and sisters. It's, it's an overly emphatic statement to make a strong point. So a lot of people see this strong vernacular, this strong speech, brothers and sisters, and take it the wrong way. When it says hateth his life, that means to love less. That means to be willing to relinquish control over it. That's what this means, brothers and sisters. Can you read those two scriptures again, brother? Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Read that again, brother. If any man serve me, let him, let him follow let me. Let him do what? Let him follow me. Look at this. Service in following him, brothers and sisters. Okay? So if you, you haven't served him until you followed, brothers and sisters. See, it's not about knowing about pork and crab shrimp and lobster and the Sabbath and, and, and how pagan Christmas is. It's not about that. It's about you following Christ. You're not serving him because you don't eat pork. You're not serving him because you don't spend money on the Sabbath. That's not service. <laughs> okay, service is, what is it? Let's read it again, brother. Verse 26. Verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. The only way to serve is to follow, brothers and sisters. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. See, so according to the text, Abnegation of self is insufficient, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at this. Because remember, the text said that in order to overcome, you must not love your life unto the death. 
So now we're learning how to operate. It's going to require self-sacrifice. It's going to require that. That was one clue that we found in Revelations. What did Revelations 12 and 11 say? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's sacrifice. That's willingness to relinquish, brothers and sisters. This is how you win. Let's go to Revelations 13, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Living Prophecy. We're going to show you, brothers and sisters, utilizing the Bible, the psychological warfare that goes on on a daily basis. Revelations, the 13th chapter, the first verse. Revelation 13 and 1. Now this is prophetic, brothers and sisters. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Brothers and, and sisters, take a look at this again. We're at Revelation 13. This was a vision of John that served as a prognostication of the final war. Okay, brothers and sisters, read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 1, and I stood up on the sand of the sea. And did what? And saw a beast rise up out of the sea. What did he see? Saw a beast rise up out of the sea. This beast would be the instrument used by Satan to fight against the Messiah. How do we know? Continue. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. So let's deal with that. This beast has seven heads and ten horns. And guess what? Those horns have crowns, which is authority. Okay? So let's deal with that. Because this is a prophetic text. He saw a beast coming out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns. Brothers and sisters, what you'll learn today is that, biblically speaking, beast typically represent the world empires, okay? It represents government structure or the structure of government. Let us show. Let's go to Daniel 7. Because that word beast, a lot of people, they, you know, they see that word and they already feel, you know, they already feel overwhelmed just by seeing these words. So what we have to do is just to slow it down Slow it down, help our brothers and sisters understand some of these principles. That way you can go into Daniel, you can go into Revelations with confidence. Let us prove to you that beasts are governments or uh, empires. Let's go to Daniel 7 and 23. What does that say, Brother Christopher? Daniel 7 and 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. Read that again, brother, please. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. It shall be what, brother? The fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. This is confirmation that the beast is a political power, a physical empire, because it said the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. Do you understand? <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? Kingdom. Beast. What is a kingdom? It's a empire. It's a government. It's a structure. 
You cannot have a kingdom unless you have what? A king. So that means they have somebody that that's the authority. You must have a land, right? And you also must have a government. That is a kingdom. Military is a part of that also, brothers and sisters. There is a fourth kingdom according to Daniel. And that fourth beast had seven heads and ten horns. Let's read it again, brother, please. Let's, because we went here just strictly to identify what a beast is according to the Bible. Daniel 7 and 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. See, the fourth beast. So beasts are kingdoms, okay? Which shall be diverse from all kingdoms. This particular empire will be diverse from all their predecessors. And shall devour the whole earth. And shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Shall tread it down and do what? Shall tread it down and break it in pieces. It says this particular beast shall devour the entire earth, tread it down, and break it into pieces. Brothers and sisters, the Romans mastered the art of cruelty, the, the art of tyranny, brothers and sisters. This is referring to who? The Roman Empire, the fourth beast. See, those who, you know, who, you know, read the Bible on a scholarly level, they know in Daniel is what the four prophetic beasts that represented four different uh, empires that Israel would have to serve before being freed. Anyone who knows anything about Daniel knows, you know, that that is really that's the, the main narrative throughout his text, uh, throughout his literature, brothers and sisters. We're dealing with what beast? We're dealing with the Roman Empire. And let us prove that. Okay? Because you're not here to just let us wax poetically, to just to just bloviate excessively. You're here for the truth. So we have to prove what the truth is. Let's go there. Let's go to Revelation 17 and 9 because we made a, a gaping statement. We said that the Roman Empire is the fourth beast that's going to fight against the Messiah, according to God, right? Let's go to Revelation 17. Let's go here. Revelation is the 17th chapter. We'll have, we'll have Brother Christopher read verse 9, and then he'll jump to verse 12 through 14. We just want to get the context in 9. Revelation 17 and 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, now hold on, brothers and sisters. Remember... Revelations 13 and 1 said what? I saw a beast with seven heads and ten horns, right? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 9. Verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So now it's trying to identify this beast. It said that seven heads represents seven mountains. Brothers and sisters, this is wrong, Okay. There's only one place on the earth, one empire on the earth that sat on seven mountains. It's called the seven hills of Rome, brothers and sisters. Look this up. Look this up, okay? So it, it's highlighting what? The Roman Empire, which is the, the, the country on seven hills. See? So it said the seven heads are seven mountains or hills. See? So right away, we know that this beast is the Romans. Right away. But but we need to go into more detail, not just the Romans, because that's too broad. Read that one more time, brother, and then jump to verse 12, because we need to show them the ten horns. 
verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. See, so he said only the mind which hath wisdom will be able to ascertain this. Okay? Many people will read right past this. We'll just read right past it. One of the key passages in all of the manuscript. And people will read right past this. And miss the whole point of Revelations. The mind that have wisdom is those seven heads represent seven mountains. Jump to verse 12, brother. Please. Revelation 17 and 12. And the ten horns. Don't forget those ten horns. The seven heads represents Rome. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. The ten horns are what? The original European Union. The EU. So these are the original countries that Rome took down. Now anyone who knows Rome's history knows that what they would do is they would go out to other lands. They didn't just defend their land. They would go out to other foreign lands to fight it. And once they won, they would take control over that land. And that land would become part of the Roman Empire. Right? So let's imagine if um, North Carolina and South Carolina were both part of this specific empire. That's how it worked, brothers and sisters. The original ten was what? Luxembourg, Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, Sweden, France. Spain, Great Britain, and Switzerland. These are the ten horns. Guaranteed. These are the ten horns. These are the original countries that Rome took down. See, so all of those places will not be safe. Okay? Let me read it off to you again. Because if you have some, you know, you have an infatuation with going into Europe and all that, you may want to rethink again. During this time. Let me read that again. The Ten Horns. Luxembourg. Denmark. Belgium. Netherlands. Germany. Sweden. France. Spain. Great Britain. And Switzerland. You see that? So here it is. We're, we're not only identifying the, the, the fourth beast. Which is the seven heads. Which is the Roman Empire. But we're representing or we're revealing what? The Ten Horns also, which is the original European Union. Read the next scripture, brother, please. Revelation 17 and 13. These have one mind. Read that again, brother. These have one mind. Read that again, brother, please. These have one mind. These have one mind. That means these ten, these ten horns, these ten countries I just read off, have one mind. That means they have conspired. You understand? Let me read them off again. Luxembourg, Denmark, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Sweden, France, Spain, Great Britain, and Switzerland. Brothers and sisters, be careful. Be careful, okay? Because it tells you that they all have one mind. The same way, the way America thinks is the same way these places think and probably even more, you know, Probably with even more bravado. <laughs> okay. Doing it over there. See. So God is warning you. Where to go. Where not to go. What's safe. What's not safe. These ten places are not safe. For Israelites. Read 13 one more time. Please brother. Verse 13. These have one mind. 
and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They should give their power and strength unto the beast. What's that? The Roman Empire. See? Look at the money. Look at the coliseums, the sports. All this is Roman. Okay? Look at the acting, the theater. All this is Roman. This is what the Romans did. Okay, we're still there. We're still there, brothers and sisters. Read verse 13 one more time, brother, because there's a war to come. And what we're reading here is the confederacy of those 10 countries. Verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. And then what? These shall make war with the lamb. What shall they do? These shall make war with the lamb. These Europeans will make war with Christ. This is in your Bible. And pastors say, stay out of Revelations. Those ten countries will make war with the Lamb. The Lamb is Christ. That means somebody has a plan to fight against Christ. Did they ever teach you that in Christianity? <laughs> See? There's a war going on outside. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 13, please. Revelation 17 and 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So according to what we're seeing here, uh, brothers and sisters, they will unify in order to maintain their authority. Rather than submitting to the rule of God's kingdom. So when it says these have one mind and give their power and strength unto the beast. So they know that when Christ comes back, subjugation for all people. Subjugation. There's no freedom of, of religion, freedom of you know who you want to love. and All that's over. And they know this. So they're going to be willing to fight against Christ. Because they understand once he comes, rules, regulations, right? are going to be implemented going forward. So we want you to see that also, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Romans 12. Let's go there. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Romans, the 12th chapter, the first and the second verse. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul teaches us very clearly what the Most High expects from us. And what was that? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by what, brother? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we see two things. We see in verse 1, the subjugation of the body. Verse 2, the subjugation of the mind. What do we see? We see that the unrenewed mind remains unrenewed until the body is subjugated. So he said the first thing you have to do is... Present your body a living sacrifice, okay? And once you do that, now we can move forward. But guess what? You cannot have a renewed mind until you first present your body. 
And see, that's the key. A lot of us, we don't have the renewed mind because we really haven't laid our body down on the altar yet. Okay, so we, we're playing around right now. Let's read that again, please. Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Which is what, brother? Which is your reasonable service. So it's clear that Paul understood the obligatory nature of submission in order to, dis to discern his will. Why do we know? Can you read the next scripture? Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Let the bodies which once served sin submissively serve him now. The first thing that must happen is what? Lay down your body. Because you can never get the renewed mind. You can't get it. The renewed mind is the hardest thing to get, brothers and sisters. Because why? Just because you don't eat pork, just because you don't observe, you know, Christmas and holidays and all that, doesn't mean you've had a renewed mind, brothers and sisters. See, that one's a little bit harder to get. That takes a little bit more time. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, and then we'll go to Revelations 13. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So here we see what, brothers and sisters? Paul reminds us that we do this because of the mercy shown to us by God. He said this is your reasonable service, right? This is just reasonable. Okay, present your body as a living sacrifice. So he said instead of giving a sacrifice, he said be a sacrifice. This is what he was saying. Brothers and sisters, tithe was also called tax. Okay, that 10%, it was a form of taxes. Okay, brothers and sisters. So it, it's changed in the New Testament because he wants more than just 10% of your coin. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, which is more. See? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world. But be ye transformed by How? the renewing of your mind. How? By the renewing of your mind. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. You see that? So your mind is the battleground. Brothers and sisters, this is going to be psychological warfare. And it's the battleground begins in the mind. Be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Because why? That's the only way you can prove what's good. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So look at that. The only way not to be conformed to this world is for you to be transformed. There's no way for you to, 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 to just operate <laughs> and not be conformed unless transformed. That's it, brothers and sisters. Because a lot of people think they're stronger than they really are. <laughs> okay? We think we're stronger than we really are. The only way to not be conformed to this world is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Continue, brother. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see that? So he's telling you in the last days, you're going to have to be able to prove what's good, what's acceptable, and what's the will of God. Which shows what? There's going to be a lot of people giving a lot of different directions for what God's will is. You see? That ye may prove that which is good, which is acceptable. It, brothers and sisters, if there's something acceptable, that means there's something unacceptable. Also, right? You see this, brothers and sisters? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your reasonable service. Because why? If you don't do that, you, you won't get the renewed mind. The subjugation has to come first. <laughs> okay? You have to subjugate the flesh first. Then the mind comes. Let's go to Revelations 13. Why? Because this particular text talked about sacrifice. Paul prepared you for Revelations 13 and 16. He prepared you by telling yourself, being willing to lose it all. We're at Revelations 13 and 16. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 16 through 18, brothers and sisters. Revelation 13 and 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a couple of things going on here. Okay, there's there's a couple of things. Read 17 one more time, brother. Verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell. Might what? Buy or sell. This is dealing directly with commerce and currency. Brothers and sisters, that no man may buy or sell. When you buy something, that, that means what? Money is involved. When you sell something, that means what? Money is involved. So for the beast to control buying and selling, he must have the authority to implement laws and power to enforce them, right? This beast has the power to say who can buy and sell. Read that one more time, brother, from the top, please. Verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. You see this, brothers and sisters, this three, this 666 is really going to be like an 18 digit. 6 plus 6 plus 6 is 18. So like a credit card number, a serial number, it's not going to say 666, brothers and sisters. That would just be too bold. It's, it's not going to say that. I know that's what they've taught us. Read verse 17, brother, please. Verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell. Save he that had the mark. No man may buy or sell unless he have the mark. So this requires those who do not take the mark to have tremendous faith as our survival now becomes at stake. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? This beast. Who is this beast? The government. The Antichrist is not a man. It's a government, brothers and sisters, according to the Bible. Okay? They taught us that what? The Antichrist was one man. 
lie after lie after lie. Because why? They knew. We want you looking for one man instead of looking at this the entire structure of this government. That's what they would rather you look to. According to the text, we're going to have to learn to sustain ourselves outside of government imposition. Because why? Read 16 again, brother, please. Revelation 13 and 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. You see that, brothers and sisters? That no man might buy or sell. So what's that like for you? Purchasing. You purchase power. What are you using? Right? You see this, brothers and sisters? You're purchasing power. And they got us what? They, there's In the black community, everything is about uh, teaching us econ economic freedom, right? And, and economic power and all this. Listen, <laughs> giving us all this economic game and all that, that's fine. I'm never against game. But it's not going to help you out. Because the Bible is telling you that no matter what type of currency it is, how much you have or how much you do not have, you will be forced to get this 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 mark of the beast, this chip, in order to buy or sell. So you're either going to not buy or sell <laughs> and rely on God, or you're going to get this mark of the beast. And they've already started, you know, they've already started the imposition, brothers and sisters, by telling people, well, listen, if you don't get vaccinated, you may not be able to work. See, so they already, it's the shell, the, the frame is there, brothers and sisters. The frame is there. The guts, we have to show the guts, but the frame is there, brothers and sisters. The same way they said that if you don't, you know, if you work a state job, you have to be vaccinated, right? It's the same exact thing, brothers and sisters. Who can control buying and selling? Who can control you, you know, <laughs> you working or not? Government. So that's the first thing we have to, to reveal for Christians. The Antichrist is the Roman government. Look on the back of your coins, right? The eagle. What does the eagle represent? Rome. The same people that, you know, killed Christ, the Romans. It's all coming out today, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Living Prophecy. Let's go to Matthew 6, brother. Because why? This particular text said, no man shall buy or sell, lest he have the mark. Right? Okay. So now that brings us, that brings us to a conundrum. Matthew 6 and 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, brothers and sisters, first he he highlights what? A general principle, right? Then he contextualizes that principle from the lens of servanthood. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Look at that. He's telling you it doesn't work for a servant to be co-owned by two independent masters. It doesn't work. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Read that one more time, brother, please. No man can serve two masters. Look at that. Man's nature 
It does not allow us to have equal loyalty towards two just opposing opposites. Cannot happen. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, it's already told you what? You can't serve to what? Two masters. Now, brothers and sisters, the word master is used for someone who has authority over you, right? Whose orders are compulsory, compulsory for us to follow. So why is he using this word master? No man can serve two masters. There's one thing we see. You will serve. <laughs> see? The way man was created is that he will serve. He'll serve here or he'll serve there, but he will serve. Can you read that one more time, brother? Matthew 6 and 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one he, and despise the other. He will what, brother? He will hold to the one and despise the, the words other. The words hold to or hold on to denote a sense of what? Dependency. Uh, a clingy behavior. Right? To money. Right? Dependent on money. Continue. He will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it's clear, brothers and sisters. In verse 24, he says that you'll hate one or the other. The word hate in this sense merely signifies to love less. That's it, brothers and sisters. According to this text, if you love money, you're hating God. That's just as simple as it, as it gets. You cannot. Some people think they can love money and love God. You cannot. You have to hate money. In order to love God. this It's impossible. It's impossible. Because guess what brothers and sisters. You wouldn't have to tell a person. Listen you can't serve Satan. And God together. See so he would have never had to put. No man can serve two masters. Why did he have to put this? Because this two masters. People believe they can serve. See, this isn't just Satan outright. Going against God. This is money. Money. Christ personifies mammon here, revealing its demonic power to hold us into slavery. If you love money, you hate God, according to the Bible. Now, why do we put this out there? Because Revelation 13 said you will only be able to operate in the Roman government if you take this chip. See? This is the only way. You must get chipped up in order to operate freely. The Bible tells you Christ was prepping you in Matthew 6. You cannot serve two masters. The time is coming when you will have to make a choice. And for some of us, that choice is now. Are you going to get the vaccine or are you going to you know, keep the job? So this was just a beta test just to see. This is just a beta test. Take a look here. Let's go to Joshua 24 and 15. Let's go here. Because remember... You can't serve two masters, right? We're at Joshua 24 and 15. Joshua 24 and 15. Listen to these words closely. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Brothers and sisters, 13 centuries before the Messiah's statement concerning mammon, Joshua makes a conceptually similar proclamation. What was it, brother? Verse 15. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Do what? Choose you this day whom you will serve. According to the text, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. <laughs> choose this day whom ye shall serve. So notice the choice is not whether you will serve. It's whom you will serve. You will serve. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, brother. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. The text says whom you will serve, not if you will serve. So man's nature is such that will ultimately that he will ultimately serve. See, and we should know that about ourselves, brothers and sisters. You will be subdued one way or another. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land he dwell. So let's deal with that part too. According to the Bible, there's more than one God. Do you see this? So we, especially in the black community, we believe, you know, we operate as if there's only one God when that's not the truth. So if there's more than one God, right? Read that one more time, brother, please. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. Read verse 15, brother. Joshua 24 and 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. If it seem evil to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. You will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. He's showing you there's multiple gods. So when we tell you God's name is important, you see why. Because there's many gods. What god are you serving? Is it the god of the Amorites? How do you do what? How do you identify your God? We identify our God with Exodus 3. He said his name was I am. That I am. Ahaya, Ashaw, Ahaya. So we wanted to point that out here also, okay? Because the name is going to be important as we begin or continue to progress deeper and deeper into prophecy, brothers and sisters. These things are going to matter. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Choosing implies to examine and select one thing. We cannot be given the choice of two things and choose both. He's telling you there's a choice here, okay? There's a choice. Let's go to Psalms 103 and 13. Psalms 103 and 13. Psalms 103 and 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remem <clears throat> excuse me. He remembereth that we are dust. According to the psalmist, the Most High is cognizant of the natural disposition of men. What did he say? Read that again, brother. Read verse 14. Verse 14. For he knoweth our frame. He knows our frame. What is that, brothers and sisters? When you look at that word in the when you look at that word in the Hebrew, brothers and sisters, um, when you look at that word in the Hebrew, it actually says framework. So your mental framework, how your mind, 
is is built. We're going to pull that up here, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Psalms. I want you to go there because it's the Hebrew 3336. Now, you know, brothers and sisters, we teach on a scholarly level. So it would behoove you to, when you see words in the Bible that you don't understand, to go find out what they mean. Okay? We're at Proverbs 103. 103 and 13, brothers and sisters, in the Strong's Concordance. So you can put Psalms 103 Strong's Concordance in on Google and it'll pop up. Read verse 13, brother, please. Psalms 103 and 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He hath pity on them who fear him. For he knoweth our frame. Let's deal with that frame. Hebrew 33, 36, brothers and sisters, the Yetzer, right? It tells you framework, okay, brothers and sisters, okay? It says uh, your form, your figurative conception, your imagination, your mind, brothers and sisters. See, so he knows your framework. He knows your mind, brothers and sisters, okay? Your intellectual framework. God says he knows what your intellectual framework is. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Because that, that's going to be key. That's going to be key. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 14. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. See that? So the text highlights the, the Most High's recognition of man's biological inclination to serve, right? He knows this. He knows our framework. So our, our spiritual anatomy makes us potentially sinful, according to what we're seeing here. The Most High God has mercy on man because he knows our natural inclinations. That's what the text is teaching us. Can you read those, those two scriptures again, brother? Psalms 103 and 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He knows our framework. Our framework is what? To serve, whether that's man or man, we will serve. Let's let's prove that. Let's go to First Kings eighteen, brothers and sisters, because he said he he knows the framework. Okay, here it is. We get to learn a little bit about our anatomy and how it works. First Kings, the eighteenth chapter, the twenty-first verse, and it reads. First Kings 18 and 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long have ye before two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long shall ye between two opinions? Two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now look at this. <laughs> look at this, brothers and sisters. The context here. Look at the word follow. Whoever your God is, you follow him. You see? So it's more than just what you believe. Okay? It's more than just head knowledge. And, that, and I fear that our people, they're just gaining intellectual knowledge. Not following. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, 
how long halt ye between two opinions? Now remember, Elijah knows that man will serve. He'll serve something. So, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. See, he didn't say, he said, you got two options, to follow this or follow that. But you will follow someone. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? He understood what? He understood the mental composition of man. That man is meant to follow. Let's go to Proverbs 3 and 9. Let's go here. We'll have Brother Christopher read 9 and 10. Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Now, brothers and sisters, let's, let's dissect this. Read verse 9, brother. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Do what? Honor the Lord with thy substance. If you can honor God with your substance, then you can dishonor God with your substance. You see that? The question is, what does your budget say about what you honor the most, brothers and sisters? Don't answer that. That's for you. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Brothers and sisters, this was a principle taught in preparation of what's to come. Okay? The management of money or lack thereof reveals those who will be vulnerable by accepting the mark. Do you see this? He said, honor the Lord with thy substance. And guess what? So this is what he was telling you already. He was prepping you in Proverbs for a time in which what? <laughs> that somebody would, would, would to look to have control over the monetary system. So he said, listen, l let's deal with it. Let's deal with your substance right off the back. Right off the back means honor the Lord with it. So that puts it in its proper place right off the back, brothers and sisters. Because why? There's many people who don't honor the Most High with their substance, and those will be the same people getting the chip. So what he tried to do was, he knew, listen, this was coming in the future, <laughs> okay? That you would have somebody control the monetary system, get people hooked on all this different stuff, right? And then force them into receiving this new monetary system. God was telling us right off the bat, you can use it, but you have to be careful with it, brothers and sisters. And what do we see in here? Can you read verse 9, brother? Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Why, brothers and sisters? Because how we manage money determines how we manage greater things. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. You see that, brothers and sisters? He's saying as long as you honor him first, you'll always have. You see? Why don't you try God out? Why don't you test him? Why don't you see if this is a lie? See, the Bible said if you honor God with your substance, how do you do that? With the first fruits of thine increase. What is that? First fruits of thine increase. Brothers and sisters, when you get an X amount of money on a check, right? 
400 of that goes straight to bills, right? So let's say it's an $800 check. 400 of it goes straight to bills. The other 400 is what? That's your increase. See, that's what you were able to keep. You see, so this is how you are to, to count it out. It's the first fruits of thine increase. So the first thing that have to get taken care of is your bills. Okay, that's God said that. Bills come first. Okay, read that one more time, brother, please, because this is a visible act of worship that manifests the condition of our hearts. Verse nine, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. When you do that, your barns shall be filled with plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You see that? So is the most high a liar or no? So you can look at a person, brothers and sisters, you can see a person's financial status for the most part and know whether or not they're giving first fruits to God. It's very, because why? We're fruit inspectors. We're just looking for fruit. We're not looking for what you have to say. We're looking at fruit here. Okay, so the Bible tells you what? Examine the fruit. Examine the fruit. Because if you honor me first, even when that mark comes, you'll be well protected. <laughs> because you've honored me first. And this or that will be the time, brothers and sisters. That will be the time. Let's go to Song of Solomon. Because why? Romans 12 said what? Sacrifice your life. Because this is where we are, brothers and sisters. This is where we are. Follow us, brothers and sisters. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Song of Solomon 2 and 15. What's that saying, brother? Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. That do what? That spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Brothers and sisters, the Most High frequently uses the creatures of this world to teach us lessons about life. Can you read that one more time, brother? Because the concept being introduced in this particular passage is that it's the minor things that tarnish the fruit. Verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. So look at that. He magnifies what? The size of the foxes. He tells you they're just, they're small. See, he wanted the emphasis on their size. And then said what? That spoil the vine. See, so they can still be small and spoil the vine. And this is what he was saying, brothers and sisters. They don't look at it as a small thing. When you start looking at things as a small thing, then you get yourself in trouble. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Little sins are more dangerous than big sins because they go, they can easily go unnoticed, brothers and sisters. So those who are undisciplined in small matters will likely be undisciplined in more important issues. And what do we see here? We see the deceitfulness of the sin. The little foxes spoil the vine. See that? So these things that you, you believe are, are small issues, are they really small issues or are they indicative of something greater? The title of today's lesson, Living Prophecy. Brothers and sisters, let's go to Proverbs 
25 and 28. Let's go here. The last verse in this chapter. Proverbs 25 and 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Brothers and sisters, in the days of antiquity, a city whose walls are broken down has no defense against an enemy. That's what this says. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit a man, is like a city. A man who have no control, self-control, is like a city that is broken down and without walls. See that? So this is a reference to, to self-control. Without it, a person is certain to be victimized, brothers and sisters. According to the text, when you lack self-control, you have the absolute mercy of your adversaries. See, so if you had a city, you put a wall around it so people couldn't just readily come into your city. It was a defense mechanism. But this particular text says what, brother? Verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down. Yeah. And well, without walls. And without walls. So, brothers and sisters, according to the text, self-control is the difference between victorious living and being overthrown, brothers and sisters. He that have no rule over his spirit has nothing to defend himself. Because why, brothers and sisters? It is your self-discipline <laughs> that will be your defense, according to the text. The text is telling you this. See that? It's your self-control that is the wall. To protect you. So let's just let's just deal with that, brothers and sisters. Let's deal with that because why? We're at a time when they're getting ready to control the money, brothers and sisters. They're already having people, you know, get, get fired for not wanting to get this vaccine. What's next? What's next is what we're reading here, the mark of the beast, brothers and sisters. Where they're going to control who's buying and selling the same way they're doing right now. We're going to go into it. Let's go to Revelations 14 and 9. Let's go here. Revelations, the 14th chapter, the 9th verse. We'll read 9 through 11. Revelation 14 and 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead, or in his hand. Brothers and sisters, I want to interject here because no one will casually or accidentally take the mark. How do we know? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image. Look at that, brothers and sisters. If any man does what? If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead, or in his hand. Brothers and sisters, examine the connection between worshiping the beast and taking the mark. You see that? If any man worship the beast and receive his mark. So reception of this mark is indicative of worship. See? Closely examine this warning. Can you read it again, brother? Verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Read that again, brethren. 
the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So he's telling you, listen, anyone who receives this mark will drink of the wrath of God. Okay? So guess what? There will be no accidentally taking the mark. If you get the mark of the beast, you did it on purpose. Continue. <clears throat> the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. So God will not dilute his wrath. It will come in full measure. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So those who receive the mark will be forced to drink the wine of wrath from God. Brothers and sisters. See, it says his indignation shall be poured out without mix. See that, brothers and sisters? Think about that. Think about that, brothers and sisters. Read uh, 11, brother, please. Revelation 14 and 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, brothers and sisters, the language in these texts reveal the retribution for negligence. So if you neglect what God says and choose to receive that mark, what happens according to verse 10? A mixture of God's indignation is poured out on you without measure. Okay? So that's 100 proof, brothers and sisters. Why is he telling us this? Why is he saying this? Because right now you're in preparation. See what's going on now with these jobs, brothers and sisters, and how they put your job in connection with the these um, these vaccines. So what they did, I know many people who went against how they actually feel about vaccines to keep a job. See, and this is what Satan is going to do. He's going to put a, a snare right there before you and say, well, you choose who you want. You want me or you want the you want me or you want God? It doesn't get any clearer than that, brothers and sisters. Well, you're gonna to have to make a choice. And the Bible said what? Love not your life unto the death. You're not gonna get through this without losing something, brothers and sisters. Let's go here. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus thirty two. Because we we need to pull this out here. Ecclesiasticus the 32nd chapter, the 14th through the 17th verses. Take a look at this. Ecclesiasticus 32 and 14. Whoso feareth the Lord will receive his discipline. They will do what? Will receive his discipline. And they that seek him early shall find favor. So embrace the blessing of rebuke because it's intended to stop us from continuing on the destructive path. You see that? So take the rebuke as a good thing. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 14. Whoso feareth the Lord will receive his discipline. Look at that. He said, depend, he's telling you that we know what, what level of fear you have based on your level of reception. You see that? So he's saying we can look directly at your reception <laughs> to know about your fear. See? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 14. Whoso feareth the Lord will receive his discipline, and they that seek him early shall find favor. He that seeketh the law shall be filled therewith. 
but the hypocrite will be offended thereat. The wise recognize rebuke as a gift of gold. Read 15 one more time, brother, please. Verse 15. He that seeketh the law shall be filled therewith, but the hypocrite will be offended thereat. They that fear the Lord shall find judgment and shall kindle justice as light. A sinful man will not be reproved, but findeth an excuse according to his will. See that? People are going to make excuses to take this mark, brothers and sisters. They're going to say, well, you know, I got kids. You know, you want you think you think God want my kid to starve to death? No. You think God, you know, want to make sure that I can't go buy my insulin or my different medications? See, this is what people are going to do. And the Bible tells you, Revelation 14, you are going to get the brunt of his judgment because you had no faith. You had no faith. You can make any excuse up that you want on why you did it. Fact of the matter is, you did it. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 14. Ecclesiasticus 32 and 14. Whoso feareth the Lord will receive his discipline, and they that seek him early shall find favor. He that seeketh the law shall be filled therewith, but the hypocrite will be offended thereat. They that fear the Lord shall find judgment, and shall kindle justice as light. A sinful man will not be reproved, but findeth an excuse according to his will. Read 16 one more time, brother, please. Verse 16. They that fear the Lord shall find judgment. What shall they find, brother? Shall find judgment and shall kindle justice as light. Verse 17. A sinful man will not be reproved. A sinful man will not be reproved. Not a man who has sinned, but a sinful man. A man who has sinned is different from a sinful man. A sinful man is someone who will continue to do so, brothers and sisters. A sinful man. So this is what we see. So a, a lot of, you know, we, we learn in verse 14 what? That you can look at how a person receives discipline. To know how much they fear God, right? Because why? We're fruit inspectors. And then we see here that a sinful man or woman will refuse to be corrected, but will find an excuse. So that means, brothers and sisters, when the time comes for you to um, call light to some darkness that you have done, brothers and sisters, okay? No excuse. Don't tie it to an excuse. You, no buts. I always tell people, but the but that you're getting ready to add is pride. The but that you're trying to, to, to connect to this is pride. A sinful man or woman will not be reproved. They'll come up with an excuse. They'll never just say, I was wrong. And see, that's what the Most High was trying to get Adam to see. He gave Adam a multitude of opportunities to confess his sin and come back. He chose to do the opposite of that. He chose to do the opposite of that, brothers and sisters. The Most High wants you to do what? Confess sin, come back to him. A sinful man will not be reproved. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 24. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 24th verse. We'll have Brother Christopher read 24 through 27. Hebrews 11 and 24. By faith, Moses, 
when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, brothers and sisters, this rejection was a deliberate decision by Moses to count himself among the people of God. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see that, brothers and sisters? Take a look at the next scripture. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Choosing what, brother? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The faith of Moses was a sacrificial faith, a faith that preferred to suffer. Look at what he did. Could you do this? Look at the faith here. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Choosing affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin for a season. Continue. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So Moses renounced the status which he enjoyed in Egypt as a member of the royal household, brothers and sisters. You see this? So this man was willing to sacrifice. This is what it's going to take, living in prophecy. Okay? This, this vaccine garbage is just the beginning, brothers and sisters. They're just setting up the structure. They're just setting up the structure. If they can stop people from working or people are not able to sit down and eat inside these restaurants, these establishments, because they're not vaccinated, then th these are the same people who will implement this, this, this rule. These are the same people. So we must be in preparation right now. We're living in a prophetic time, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at Psalms 84. Psalms 84 and 10. Psalms 84 and 10. Now, remember, where did we just come from? We came from the Bible telling you that what? Moses did what? He chose affliction rather than to be in the house of Pharaoh, right? Okay. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Brothers and sisters, Psalms 84 celebrates the joy of fellowship with the Most High God. Can you read 10 one more time, brother? Verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Even a moment in the presence of God is far greater than a lifetime apart from him. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Read that again, brother. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. The psalmist would rather stand outside of God's house in service than to dwell in luxury with the wicked. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? David would prefer to be a doorkeeper even without the privilege of entering the house. So comfort and convenience are the enemy of discipline, brothers and sisters. And this is what he's showing, okay? <laughs> as long as I get in, as long as I get in, 
Service is the most important thing. Service is the only way in. And this is what you're seeing, brothers and sisters. The only way in is through service or being a slave. There's no other options available. There's no other openings. The only opening there is, is slave or servant. Okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. Let's go here. Let's go to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, the 10th verse. We'll have Brother Christopher read that. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. What's that said, Brother? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. Brothers and sisters, this is what I like to call the final examination. It's just like in school when you have that final test that, you know, right before this, you went into summer break. This is that final test. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before Christ and be held to the account of our choices. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Look at, look at that. It's about what you've done with your body. You see that? <laughs> see? According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. According to Second Corinthians, there's only good and bad. There's no gray. There's no middle. See? So it's very clear. Right and wrong is very clear to God. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. So, brothers and sisters, these verses state a reality that we all face. We are accountable to the Creator for our conduct. According to the text, gray areas do not exist. Let's read those two scriptures again, 10 and 11, closely. Second Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. See, so it's more than just belief. It's more than just faith, okay? Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now that's it, brothers and sisters. Persuade. We persuade men. That's what we do, okay? The only thing you can do is try to persuade a man or woman to look at it from God's point of view, okay, brothers and sisters, you can't make a person do that. You must learn persuasion, okay? This particular text talks about what? The conscience. See that? Remember, we talked about what? The psychological warfare, right? Let's go to Revelations 13 and 16. Take a look at this. Revelations, the 13th chapter, the 16th verse, the 16th and the 17th verse. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Revelation 13 and 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand. Read that one more time, brother. To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So it says, he calls of all, both small and great. That means you could be, you know, you could be very important or you could be a no-name. You could be rich or you could be homeless, okay? You can be in prison or you can be free. Everybody will receive this mark. Everybody. 
Okay, continue. Verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. This shows what? That the enemy is now, is controlling purchasing. See? He's controlling commerce now. See, this is where we're going, brothers and sisters. We're living in prophecy. They're controlling the commerce as we speak. They just haven't showed their full hand. See, they haven't shown their full, their full flex on how much they're controlling it. Because they don't want you thinking about, you know, them controlling it. We want to put this out there, brothers and sisters. Because the Bible tells you the fourth beast, which is the Roman Empire, will do what? Will restrict people from buying and selling. Anything that prohibits you from buying and selling is the mark of the beast, brothers and sisters. That's how you keep an eye on that. Let's go to Ezekiel 9 and 4. Because we want to show you something here. Read, 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 read 13 one more time, brother. And then we'll go forward. Uh, 16, excuse me, and 17. Revelation 13 and 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand. Now that's the key, brothers and sisters. Satan wanted to mark his. Those who serve Satan, he wanted to mark them, right? Continue. To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. See that, brothers and sisters? So he wanted to be able to identify those who belong to him with their marks. Now, brothers and sisters, where did he get that idea from? Let's see. Let's go to Ezekiel 9 and 4. Because see, what he's done is try to emulate everything God has done as an originator. Satan is not an originator. Okay? He just He's an emulator. Look at Ezekiel 9 and 4. Because remember, the mark of the beast is a mark of what? Who's the beast? The beast is the government, according to the Bible. So this would be a mark that comes through the Roman government. Okay? Look at Ezekiel 9 and 4. Because the Most High God have a mark. Okay? Ezekiel 9 and 4. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city. Through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon their foreheads. Do what? And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Satan takes the the things that God has created for good and makes a knockoff version for it. This is what we see. The mark of the beast comes from what? Ezekiel nine and four. There's a mark of God. See, there's a mark of God. So he's just emulated that. The text proves that Satan's mark of the beast was not an organic idea. Read that one more time, please, brother. Ezekiel 9 and 4. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem. Look at this. And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry. That sigh and cry for the men who are pointing out how evil society is at, as, as it currently stands. For the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Look at that, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you what? We wanted to show you this mark is indicative of a protection provided by an allegiance. Okay? Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, set a mark on their foreheads. 
The forehead represents what? Your mind, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? <laughs> Psychological warfare. Okay. This war is going to be aimed at mental illness, brothers and sisters. The mark is in your mind. It's on your forehead. That means it's in your knowledge, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Exodus 12. Let's go from Ezekiel 9. To Exodus 12. Why? Because we wanted to show you that the Most High God had his own mark in which Satan had looked to copy. Exodus 12 and 23. What's that say, brother? Exodus 12 and 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel, and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. Brothers and sisters, look at this. This is how that mark works. This blood represented the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. We wanted to show you when it said put that mark on them. This is how that mark works. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. See, this is why he said in Ezekiel 9 and 4. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry for these abominations. This is how that mark would operate, brothers and sisters. That you would be covered, you would be protected while other people were being destroyed. Could you read that again? Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel. When you see that mark. And on the two side posts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in until your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to the to thy sons forever. What did that last part say? And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. So it's a couple of things we see here, brothers and sisters. We see that this is obviously about the Passover, right, brothers and sisters? We're seeing the blood on the doorpost operated as a protection, the same as that mark in Ezekiel 9 and 4 of what? Men being sealed in their foreheads, brothers and sisters. Let's go to what? Let's go to Revelation 7 now. Why? Because the title of today's lesson is Living Prophecy. Let's go to Revelation, the seventh chapter, the first through the third verse. Revelation 7 and 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Having the what? Having the seal of the living God. See, brothers and sisters, the mark of the beast. See, this is where they got it from. This is where Satan got it from. There's a seal of the Most High God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, saying Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So where was the seal? In the forehead, it was in the knowledge. So, brothers and sisters, these passages refer to a group of people who possess the seal of God and thus his protection. Do you see this? Can you read that again? Revelation 7 and 3. 
saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Until what, brother? Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. So the individuals who are marked by the Most High God are preserved. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Here we read of the warrant being signed for the execution of those who were not marked. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of all the what? All the tribes of the children of Israel. Jump back to verse 3, brother, please. Verse 3, saying, Heard not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. So look at that, brothers and sisters. The Most High is telling angels to preserve the earth until he's had an opportunity to seal his servants. Where? In their forehead, which is what? Your mind, your knowledge, a renewed mind. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? Those who were marked were preserved. Satan have done what? Said, you know what? I have a mark, a mark of the beast. Okay? And you can be preserved through me if you receive this mark, if you worship me. We're talking about that because why? That's the next step. For all the people to be losing their jobs right now, strictly based on their, um, you know, not wanting to get this this jab, this shot. If brothers and sisters cannot see where we're going, where we're headed, then we're really in trouble. We're really in trouble that we don't know where we stand in prophecy. Let's go to Ezekiel 9 and 6, because why? We're showing you how this mark works. Ezekiel 9 and 6. This is how the mark works. Ezekiel 9 and 6. <clears throat> Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Look at this. They who bear the mark are sequestered by the Most High. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 6. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they begin at the ancient men which were before the house. Now, brothers and sisters, those aforementioned are safe amid the fiery indignation which devours the lawless. The lawless. Look at this again. Who did he say slay? Read that again, brother. Verse 6. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children. See this, brothers and sisters? It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what race you are. What matters? Continue. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. But do what? Come not near up come not near any man upon whom is the mark. See that? According to this text, this mark is the only thing able to mitigate the coming judgment, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? But come not near any man upon whom is this mark. You see that? So what are we showing you? We're showing you that Satan 
got his whole his whole ideology of the mark of the beast and all this other stuff. He got this from the Most High God, brothers and sisters. So he doesn't get, you know, we don't give him glory for that. Because really, he's just a person who emulates. He's not an originator. And we'll show you more things that he did not originate, yet uses. Let's go to Ephesians. Matter of fact, let's go to let's go to Revelations first. Let's go there. Revelations 14. Why? Because the Bible continued to talk about the mark being in the forehead. The mark is in the forehead. The mark is in the forehead. Revelation 14 and 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and him with a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their forehead. Him having what, brother? Having his father's name written in their foreheads. A hundred and forty-four thousand. That's twelve thousand from each tribe. There are twelve tribes. Having what, brother? Having his father's name written in their foreheads. Brothers and sisters, the 144,000 know God's name. See, you're not a part of the 144,000 and you don't know God's name. Okay? You need to go find out what God's name is before you you think, you know, <laughs> that you would be within the 144,000. This 144,000 is men. And they're not arguing over what God's name is. God's name is Ahiah, Ashaw, Ahiah, as he said in Exodus 3. So we wanted to show you that what? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That was the key. That they had the Father's name written in their foreheads, which means what? They acknowledged it. They had the knowledge of it. So don't tell us that the knowledge of God's name is not something, is not important. We don't want to hear that. That's demonic. Go to Ephesians 1, brothers and sisters. Let's go here. Ephesians, the first chapter, the 13th verse. Take a look at this. Ephesians 1 and 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, and ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In whom also after what? In whom also after that ye believed, and ye were also, excuse me, and ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit ye of promise. Were, ye were what? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. According to the text, the Ephesians understood the Holy Spirit as what? The seal of the Most High God. Let's read it again. Verse 1. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The what? The gospel of your salvation. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you're sealed with the Spirit. The mark is the Spirit, right? Verse 14, 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. According to the text, the gift of the spirit is what? It's only a down payment on our heavenly inheritance. Brothers and sisters, the spirit certifies his promise, his pledge to us. That's what this text is telling you. Can you read that again, brother, please? Because the Holy Spirit is given as the first installment to assure the reception of our full inheritance. Take a look at it again, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 1 and 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption. See, that's the down payment. See that, brothers and sisters? Now, we wanted to show you a couple of things. Seals, anyone who knows anything about history, seals were used for official business, okay? So if a seal were broken, the one receiving that document would know that the letter had been tampered with. So this word seal, let's read that again, brother. Verse 13. Verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ye were what? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. See? See that, brothers and sisters? We're showing you the mark of the Most High. We're showing you the seal of the Most High. <laughs> See, the seal is the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that seal, you're not going to make it, brothers and sisters. You're not going to make it. You need this seal. You need this mark, brothers and sisters. See, while we're learning all about the mark of the beast, we should learn about the mark of our God. We always go into the negative. Let's make sure you have the mark of God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. Let's go here. First Corinthians 2 and 14. What's that say, brother? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? For what? For who hath known the mind of the Lord? That he may instruct him. That what, brother? That he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You see that, brothers and sisters? Who hath known the mind of the Most High? That we may instruct him. <laughs> but what? But we have the mind of Christ. So he's telling you, you have to get the mind of Christ in order to do what? To know what's acceptable. To know what the acceptable will of the Most High God is, brothers and sisters. He's telling you too, what? Paul, he's, he's given special attention to the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing the wisdom of God. Read that one more time, brother, because according to the text, the Most High secrets can only be spiritually discerned. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, it, he can't receive spiritual things. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, so this knowledge is unattainable lest we be sequestered and led by God, brothers and sisters. 
The mysteries of the Most Highs can only be ascertained through the Holy Spirit. You see that? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness. So there's certain things you can only ascertain with the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to the Bible, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please, brother. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. See that the natural man can't receive the things of God. For they are foolishness unto him. See that? There's foolishness to him. How he sees it, his, his vision is not clear. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See that? See that? Spiritually discerned, brothers and sisters. So it shows you what? In your natural in your natural self, brothers and sisters, you aren't spiritually discerned. And one of our you know, one of our principles that we live by at our churches, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's needed, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of natural things that are gonna have to be circumcised and pulled back, brothers and sisters, and we're we're learning of it right now. Let's go to Ephesians four and thirty. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 30th verse. Ephesians 4 and 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Whereby? Whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Brothers and sisters, grieve. Grieve is a concept that concerns someone who cares about us, okay? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit and of do, God. Do what? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. See, so the Holy Spirit is God's seal on his people, his claim on us as his very own possession. Brothers and sisters, there goes that seal again. Right? And what is the seal? Until the day of redemption. You see that? So without this seal, <laughs> you won't make it. During the day of redemption. Now, guess what? You could know all the law and, and you know, don't wear mixed fabrics and only, you know, date, uh, you know, Hebrew Israelite right off the right off the boat and, you know, never ate pork and all that. You can have all that going. But if you are not sealed. You are going to be part of that group on where Christ turned away and said, you workers of iniquity. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I want you to take a look at that, brothers and sisters. You are sealed until the day of redemption. How are you sealed? With the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, ye are not sealed unto the day. You are not protected unto the day of redemption. Let's go to Luke 12. Let's, let's, let's prove this here. Let us help our listeners here. Let's go to Luke 12 and 54. Let's help out here. Luke 12 and 54. And he said also to the people, when ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, Ye say, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, 
and of the earth. But how is it that ye did not discern this time? Christ wanted everyone to discern the times and be aware of prophecy. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 54. And he said also to the people, when ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He said, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. You see that, brothers and sisters? But you can't interpret the signs of the times. So you know when it's getting ready to rain and you need to bring an umbrella. You know when you need to bring a hat or coat, right? Verse 55. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky. Read that the, part again, brother. Excuse me. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky. You can discern the face of the sky. And of the earth. But how is it that ye do not discern this time? So we're skilled at interpreting the weather, but unable to interpret the things of far more importance. This is what Christ was showing us. He was highlighting the urgency in which we need to discern the times, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 54. What did that say? And he said also to the people, when ye see a cloud rise out of the west. When you see clouds coming. Straightway ye say, there cometh a shower. All right, you know, grab an umbrella. And so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that ye did not discern this time? Now we needed to put that out there, brothers and sisters. This is urgency. He's telling you, you need to be able to discern the times. You have to get into this Bible, Old Testament and New brothers and sisters, including Revelations, including Daniel, a lot of the prophetic texts, because this is where we are today, brothers and sisters, and the Most High is allowing this to progress just slow enough for you to be able to discern it, because if he allowed it to go full speed, you couldn't recover, we could not recover, he's allowed this to, to take its time to actually clear our vision, to actually see what's going on here. Let's go to Isaiah 33 and 6. I'm going to end it here, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 33, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah 33 and 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. What shall stabilize us? Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Knowledge and wisdom, when combined, give stability to the person wielding it. Brothers and sisters, the, the influence of applied wisdom and knowledge is what? According to the text, stabilization. You see that? Now, we would need this. We would need to know where... We would need to know where are what, where are anything that could help us uh, in during this time, brothers and sisters. What because obviously it's the Bible tells you it's it's not flesh and blood. This battle is not flesh and blood. So what is Isaiah giving us? What 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 information is he giving us for these times? Let's read that. 
Isaiah 33 and 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Wisdom and knowledge are the best elements for the stability of any people. And Isaiah was breaking it down. According to the author, our education will contribute to our welfare. Our wisdom and knowledge shall do what? Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. Look, at, look at that, brothers and sisters. And strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. There it is again, brothers and sisters. The fear of the Lord. So this particular text was power packed. It tells us that wisdom and knowledge, those two things combined, not just wisdom, but knowledge also. Wisdom is what? Wisdom is how to apply knowledge. So knowledge is, I know that this is a hammer. I know that this is a Phillips screwdriver. I know that this is a wrench. Wisdom is, I know how to use this hammer. I know how to use this wrench. I know how to use this um, Phillips head screwdriver, okay? So knowledge is one thing. That means to know. Wisdom is how to apply what you know, brothers and sisters. As we progress, as we go forward, wisdom and knowledge cannot be overemphasized, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Living Prophecy. We utilize the Bible to show you where we are today and what the near future looks like, brothers and sisters, as it pertains to a new monetary system, uh, possibly you know dealing with the cryptocurrencies and things like that. Um, time is short, brothers and sisters. Time is short. And according to Isaiah 33, what does it say, brother? Isaiah 33 and 6. And wisdom.